Hey, Westside family. My name is Eric Johnson, and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys, and enjoy. We started talking about the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, specifically uh, a time to prophesy. Uh, I have received a lot of feedback uh, from last week's message uh, in a very positive way. So it's really striking, striking a chord uh, with people. Today we are in part two of the Valley of Dry Bones, and we're going to be uh, talking about the need for breath. Can, can you look at somebody and say, I need more breath? Now tell them, please don't breathe on me. Okay, give me a second. I totally forgot to do something up here in my stuff. Where are you at? Okay, I apologize. So let me read to you the area of scripture uh, that we're going to be breaking down, breaking down uh, this week. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse, verses 9. Uh, no, verses 7. We're going we're gonna to go all the way to 14, but uh, we're going to split it. We're going to read from 7 to 10 right now, and then later on in the message, we'll hit 11 through uh, 14. So this is Ezekiel chapter 37, Valley of Dry Bones. It's when he had a vision of a bunch of dry bones in a valley, but yet God had called these dry bones to be a great army. Uh, if you wasn't here last week, I would really encourage you, go to our podcast or our other social media platforms and listen to that message. Uh, it was a very passionate message uh, last week that I, I can honestly say was uh, a little bit different than a typical pastoral message. Uh, it would fall in the lines of what you would call a, a prophetic message in the sense that it was directly for God for the time that we are in right now. And it's applicable to us, but it's also applicable uh, to the general church. I feel like the Lord is having me share this with you for the time we are in and the time that we're going to be heading into. I can't help it. There's times in my ministry to when God speaks to me. So there's times when I stand before people and, and I might give a past. My office is kind of split into three when it comes to messages. So there's times I give a pastoral message and that's just how we are to live a Christian life. There's times I give an apostolic message, and that's based off the structure and the order that the church or the body of Christ should exist within. And then there's times that I give a prophetic message, and that is a message that is relevant to the season in which we are in, and that is for the future that we are going to enter into. And this series that we are in is prophetic in its nature, in its context. It's for where we are at now, and it's for where we are going. And so I would encourage you to uh, get inside of that, listen to last week's message, uh, and then please open your heart and pay attention to today's and possibly uh, next week's message uh, as well. 
so let's read this. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. So what we really have to pay attention to is the different aspects of what was really happening here. We see God doing something, but yet at the end of that something, there was a lack of incompletion. There was more that God wanted to do and that there was more of what God intended for this people that was bones in the valley. As we're going into my talk today, I want to start off by saying this to every single one of us. There is more to what there is more to what God has done and what God is doing in our life. There is more that he wants us to experience. There's more that he wants us to have. There's more that he wants us to do. And even though what he has done so far is good, and even though what he has done so far may be great, and even though what he has done so far could be remembered for the ages the decades and the years to come, he is still not finished. His finishing on the cross immediately established an unfinished work for his people. So the fact that he resurrected from the grave and therefore establish access for humanity to connect with God, immediately created a positioning and an opportunity for God's people to enter into more with God. So when Jesus breathed his last breath, and prior to that said, it is finished, there was an occurrence that happened that was very symbolic for the church to be and for the people that was. Inside the temple, the veil, which if you go into studies, some say the veil was a very thick, multi-layered cloth to the point of four to six inches of thickness, extremely heavy. And it was a separation between, between the holy place and the most holy place. 
And inside the most holy place is where only priests could go to experience the presence and the power of God. And when Jesus said it's finished and he breathed his last breath, the earth shook and that veil was ripped in two. And it was a very symbolic moment saying not only priests have access to the most holy place, but now my people who are called by my name, who is a peculiar people, the Bible says, a chosen generation, the Bible says, a royal priesthood, the Bible says, now has access into this place that at one or used to be only a domain for specific people. So that immediately established an awareness and an opportunity that there is more to be experienced for the children of God. And that lingers to us today. There is more for you when it comes to your relationship with God. Going to the context of this message in this verse, this, these bones in a valley became a people. From the first prophetic utterance, God commanded Ezekiel to prophesy. He prophesied. The bones begin to form, come together. The sinews, the flesh, the muscles, the tendons all begin to connect and all begin to form. And they became a people, but they was not just called to be a people. They was called to be an army. Let me be so bold to say, you're not just called to be a Christian. You're not just called to come to church. You're not just called to pay your tithes. You're not just called to do good. But you are called to be in an army. To recognize and embrace a position and a purpose within the kingdom of God, but yet within the army of the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible talks about a latter, a former reign, and a latter reign. The Bible talks about a city within a city. The Bible speaks of a remnant of people. When you look at Jerusalem, within Jerusalem was Zion. It was a place 
within a place. When you look at Jesus' disciples, you had the 12, but then you had the three. When you look at the believers uh, on the day of Pentecost, you had the 120, and then you had the multitude. When you study the Bible, you will always see that you have a majority, and then you have a minority. So a majority of people that come to the church is they are the people of God, but yet only a minority of the people has said, yes, Lord, send me. And through choice and through sacrifice and through worship and through passion has become a part of the army of God. And the reason the church is in a lack today and the reason that our nation is, in, is the way that it is today is because we have too many people of God and enough, not enough people in the army of God. Too many people satisfied just being a believer. Too many people satisfied just coming to church every now and then. Too many people just satisfied knowing that they're, they're going to go to heaven. God has called us to more than just a people in the kingdom. Can you say more? Can you just declare to your heart and your mind, I am meant for more? Testing one, two. Test, test. Are we, are we on? Yeah, I know that's sarcastic, but that's okay. Can somebody say, I'm meant for more? If you don't mean it, just fake it till you make it, baby. Look at someone and say, fake it till you make it. Oh, you said that one. You said that one. All right, Lord, Lord God, forgive us. So we are called to more, but yet the enable to access it requires a different declaration, a different prophetic utterance, a different word from God. The Bible says that no man can come to the Lord unless the Spirit draweth him. That's a word for salvation. Um, Jesus called his disciples. That was a word that initiated their walk with him. But then Jesus told his disciples to wait for the promise. That was a deeper word. You coming to salvation is one thing, but God calling you to a deeper walk is a different kind of word. And the ear that you heard for salvation will be different than the ear you will have to have to recognize the voice to go deeper. The same spirit, but a different movement. The same person, but you should be of a different maturity. And the way I speak to my eight-year-old today is different than how I spoke to her when she was two years old. 
My directives for her is different. My communication with her is different. And how she hears and how she responds and how she understands is different. And a problem we have within the church, not our church, but the overall church today, is we have people that's been in the church 20, 30 years, 10 years, but yet they're acting like they're still two-year-old Christians. They're still living off the voice of salvation as opposed to opening their ears and hearing the voice that leads to a deeper walk with God. Are you breathing? So the difference that we are witnessing here in this story was the breath. They had what it took to be the people of God, but they didn't have what it took to be the army of God. And what made the difference was the breath. Breath is important, is it not? Most people don't know this, but several years ago, I trained myself to be able to hold my breath four minutes underwater. I didn't realize I could have died when I did that from shallow water blackout. But I did, and on a regular basis, I could hold my breath three to four minutes. Even today, I can hold my breath for two minutes without training in anything. But there was a sensation that would begin to hit when you're underwater. You actually start convulsing. You feel like your lungs is going to explode out of its ribcage. And everything in you is telling you, you need life. You need breath. Your body is shaking. You get these jerks like this underwater. And then, can't last any longer. Because you would pass out, and then when you pass out underwater, your body starts immediately breathing because it's just made that way. And you suck in breath or water when you breathe, and that's how you drown. But there's some people that you're, you've been underwater. Thank you, Jesus. You've been in a domain you wasn't called to be in. I wasn't created to live underwater. You were not created to live underwater. You've been in a domain that you're not created to be in. You've been in a mindset you're not created to have. You've you've been experienced brokenness and hurt that you're not created to experience. And you're underwater. You're in this place to where you can't breathe right. You can't live right. You don't have the life that God's intended for you. And your body is starting to function weirdly. You're starting to convulse. You're starting to jerk. You're starting to shake. You can't think right. You can't function right because of all the pressure that is caving in on you, because of all the misery that is taking control of you, because of all the fear that is dictating and, and, and trying to take control of your life. And what you need right now is just a little bit of... Just a little bit of... Just a little bit of breath. A little bit of air. 
the term breath in this area of Scripture, it means two things. It means spirit and it means wind. And throughout Scripture, breath, spirit, and wind work synonymously. So when the wind came in, the Acts, in Acts 2, it was a symbol of the Holy Ghost. So in essence, what is being said right here for this vision, but for our application, is we can be a people of God by what we believe, but we're only going to be an army of God by the Spirit that we receive. Let me, let me say that again. We can be the people of God by what we believe, but we're only going to be the army of God by the Spirit we receive. And you need the Spirit of God to infiltrate your system, your being, your mind, so that you can breathe again. Find freedom again, life again, joy again, love again, tranquility again, fulfillment again, purpose again, all oh, the promises of God again, settleness again. Rest again. Oh, sleep again. Oh, happiness again. Oh, the presence of God again. Are you breathing? Are you breathing? Are you breathing this morning? Some of you just need, the, need God to breathe into you so you can experience life again. Adam was a man of a shell until God breathed into his lungs, and then the Word says he had life. Jesus was just a carpenter until he was baptized, and the dove ascended down upon him, which was a symbol of breath entering him. John the Baptist was only a baby in the womb of Elizabeth until Mary walked onto the scene, and Jesus in the womb of Mary all of a sudden caused John to be filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb, which was a sign of receiving breath, and I can go on and on and on in the Bible to where people was one thing in one way until they experienced the breath of God and after experienced the breath of God they became a living being unto the Lord. So God told Ezekiel prophesy breath and he did and they became a great army. That wind, that spirit filled their, filled their lungs. Without the spirit, they would not have been able to be the army and they would not have survived in this valley. God was calling them into something deeper. God is calling us into something deeper. I want to give you four examples of people having new breaths. I, 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 I barely touched on it a second ago. Number one is, is Jesus received breath and the Spirit to minister, the dove coming down. But then Jesus also received a new breath when he was resurrected from the death, from dead. He was not the same. He was different. Jesus, Jesus after the resurrection, was different than he was prior to the resurrection. 
Some didn't even recognize him. There's a thought and the idea that he was even able to pass through a wall because of how he entered the house in which the disciples in. It was the moment that, that doubting Thomas needed to touch some scar tissue. He was different. The Bible says that he did so many miracles that there's not enough to, enough to contain it in the books. After death, Jesus had one experience with God. And then he was called into a deeper level. And he had another experience with God. The second one is he breathed on his disciples. In John 20, the Bible says that he breathed on his disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he told them, wait for the promise in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. And they waited for the promise. And then in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, a fresh wind, a fresh breath came in, and they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And it was a new breath. It was a deeper breath, a deeper call that they experienced. Number three is there's a group of disciples that received the baptism of John. And what the Bible teaches us is the baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance. And Paul the Apostle asked them, have you uh, received the baptism of the Spirit? And they said, we've never heard of the baptism of the Spirit. They had this one experience with God, a baptism of repentance. What initiated that baptism of repentance? It, the Holy Ghost, because the Bible said that no man can come to God except the Spirit draw off them. So the Spirit drew them to that first baptism. Then all of a sudden, they come across this apostle, and this apostle said, have you been baptized by the Spirit? Have you experienced a deeper breath, a deeper call, a deeper connection with God? They said, no, we've never heard of it. The Bible says he laid hands upon them, and all of a sudden, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they begin to speak with different tongues. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. We go from one level to a deeper level. And that is just the progression of God. The fourth one here in Ezekiel. I've already alluded to this a bit. We see that these bones were a people. Now, prior to the first prophecy, we see that these bones were just a people. But they were dry bones. They, they, they were uh, 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 the makes of a people, but they wasn't living. And Ezekiel prophesied to them. The spirit of prophecy entered them. They became a people. But that wasn't enough. They needed to go deeper. They went from death to life, to be in an army. A deeper breath, a deeper call. These four examples have specifically one thing in common. Now you can probably dig and, and, and see other areas of commonality, but specifically for the context of this message, they had this one thing in common. Their second breath caused them to be more powerful than their first breath. Their second 
experience with God. Their second calling, there's the second experience of the Holy Spirit caused them to be more powerful. Jesus, as I just said, was more powerful after the resurrection than he was before the resurrection. The disciples was more powerful after the day of Pentecost than they were prior to the day of Pentecost. The disciples of John the Baptist was more powerful after the baptism of the Holy Spirit than they were with just the baptism of repentance. This people in Ezekiel were more powerful after the second prophecy than they were with the first prophecy. God is doing a lot of new things in people. A new wind is blowing. The Spirit is moving in a different way. With peoples, with families, with churches, with individuals, in spite of the news, in spite of the word that we hear, in spite of the emotions and the experience that is going on right now amongst our, in our society, amongst our, our cultures here in, the, in this nation, in the world. God is moving. You don't hear about it, and you may or you may not see it because of everything else that is in view, but God is doing a work. God is moving in a powerful way, and it's a new way. I got to get this thing back. It is irritating the fire out of me. Can I do that and say that? I keep feeling like I'm going to nail that thing. Bump. Or have you ever, you know, thought the door was open when you turned the corner, and then you just nailed that door like, Freak. you don't know whether to holler to scream punch that door, grab an object, and hit that. The door didn't do it. We did it, right? I felt like I was about to nail my head on this corner right here, and uh, that wouldn't be good. That'd be funny for y'all. That'd be funny for you two. God is doing a new work. Let me give you a word, not just a message, a word from the Lord for the time that we're in. What is being forced upon us can only be tolerated for so long by people. There is going to be a point, and it has already started, and it's only going to grow greater. There is going to be a point when people realize they have no place to run, who they've been listening to, they can't trust. And they're going to want out. They're going to want to change. They're going to need something fresh. They're going to need something new. And you know where they're going to come? They're going to come to God. It will happen in homes. It will happen in churches. It will happen in places of work. And it's going to happen in business. In this revival, this revival that is going to be a byproduct of what the enemy intended for harm. Oh, please hear me, hear me, hear me. 
thank you, Jesus. This junk we've been dealing with for a couple years now, has, it has done harm. There's no denying that on, on, on deep, deep levels. But the enemy is not going to have the last word. What the enemy meant for harm, God is going to use for revival. And the people that's going to be a part of this revival, you know who they're going to be? They're going to be an exceedingly great army. They're going to come out of the valley of dry bones. I'm going to say something. I don't want to upset anybody. Because I am pro-choice when it comes to the vaccination. All right? If you want it, get it. If you don't want it, don't get it. All right? Okay? That, that, that's where I stand. So I, I, I say that now because what I'm, about, what I'm about to say. That's the only reason I'm saying that. I do not get political behind the pulpit. People coming to the Lord. People saying enough is enough. People saying, I'm ready. Send me, Lord. Is not going to be because of a false confidence that is the byproduct of some medication that they're receiving for the time in which we're in. Coming to God and saying, I'm ready, God, because you've been given a medication is not an absolute trust and an absolute renewal of the Spirit and an absolute say, God, I'm sick and I'm tired of this and I don't got no place to run. I don't got no one to call on, no one to go to. I'm relying on you and I need your breath. I need your revival. Revival is going to happen when people call on the breath of God and stop putting their trust in man, doctors, medicine, circumstances, government, and everything else. So now you see why I said that prior. I'm not pushing, saying any one thing. It's going to be an exceedingly great army. And for us, we have an advantage. Let me hit rewind. I got something else I got to say. I have this underlined in bold. In regards to the army, it will be powerful. And it will be more powerful than the earth has ever witnessed. See, I know when the Lord speaks to me and I know when my own mind is thinking. And the Lord spoke to me last night. And that was one of the things he said. This revival that is going to start because of the harm that was intended is going to produce an army. An army of the Lord. And it is going to be the most powerful army of God the earth has ever witnessed.
Now, please hear what I'm saying. When you use militant terms, this, oftentimes we go into a militant mindset. This was the problem with the Jews not accepting Jesus. The Jews was expecting a militant Messiah to come back, but Jesus came back as a serving and loving Messiah. Now, there is going to be a time that Jesus returns as a warring Messiah. But that's for him and his angels. That's not for us. The army that is going to arise in the midst of the last days that we are in is not going to be some militant army. God is not going to raise up an army to oppose his love to oppose the fruits of the Spirit? No, it's going to be an army that knows a love that has no bounds. It's going to be an army that is anointed by God Himself and through the declaration of God's Word and through the laying on of hands and through the speaking of truth because they are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Yokes is going to be destroyed. Sickness is going to be changed. Death is going to, going to be eradicated in people's life. God is going to do wonders on earth because it's a great army of Jesus. Not a militant vigilante army that is hidden in the undergrounds of the church. That is not what God is calling His people to do. Am I making sense? Should we protect ourselves? By all means. Should we be ready for anything that could bad happen to our family? Yes, by all means. But what God is doing is different than that context. Amen? I know I've been keeping you a little bit. But I got you today, okay? I got got you. I got you today. You and I can be a part of this great army, and we are getting an early opportunity. We have to be people of the wind. What do I mean by this? We have to live by the Spirit of God. Look at someone and say, it's time for business. It's time for work. Where do we start with this? Where do we start? What I'm going to say might offend some people, but that's okay. Either you forgive me and love me or you're going to go to hell. You don't got no choice, sucker. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding with you. I'm kidding with you. I love you. Look at someone and say, he loves us. Come on, put some soul into it. He loves us. All kidding aside, the first starting point is to stop sinning. And start separating yourself from it. I'm going to give you a very sobering verse. The Bible says that God is coming back for a church that is without
Don't give me no amens if you're in here and you're living a double life. You're a hypocrite. The Bible says God is going to throw you up. You're disgusting to the heart of God. It's time that we, as God's people, As the word says, separate ourselves. Living righteous according to God's way and not unrighteous according to what's popular in the world's way. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. I know this is not a popular message. The popular message is grace. You know, the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Most of the time when that's preached, it's totally preached out of context. Do you know the context that that's, actually pre- that that's actually wrote in is the context of living righteously? I don't accept the idea that you have to sin. It, it, I just don't accept it. Because I see, I, I see difference in the Bible. Yes, I know we, we, we make mistakes and, and, and we slip and fumble a little bit. But the Bible also says that if we practice, now if we practice the flesh, which is the sin, if we practice, guess what? What will we not inherit? It says it. This is not me preaching. This is, says it. It says that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look it up, Galatians 5. And it shares the difference between the life of the spirit and the life of the flesh. Go look in in the book of John. It says that if we love God, then we will obey God. Enough is enough. We cannot be an army and we will not be a part of the army of God. If we just accept, if we tolerate And we just live a life that is contrary to what God expects his people to live by in his word. We do our self-damage. We do people that is connected to us damage. We do the kingdom of God damage. We do strangers damage. Enough. And not doing it is not enough either. Can we stop watching it? Can we stop listening to it? Can we stop laughing about it? God is calling people to a higher call today. Not some lackadaisical, complacent, hypocritic, come praise the Lord on Sunday and live like hell Monday through Saturday. That is not cutting it anymore. 
Number two is worship God with passion. Falling back in love with your God. A starting point to being a part of the army. Stop sinning. Worship God with passion. Number three, make church a priority. I'm going to say something again that might have you forgiven me anyway. Stop making church your side fling. Your little affair that happens when it's convenient for you. See, when you study the Bible, you, you see that God uses certain, certain choices to portray an example for him and his people. And many times he came to his people and he told his people, you are being an adulterous nation. And the reason he said that to them is because of their relationship with the world in regards or instead of their relationship with him and his ways. How? How? Can we, as the body of Christ, how can the church in general be what God has called it to be when it is just a side hustle, a side fling, a side affair, and it is not a priority in our life? How? How can we get the most benefit? How can we receive the most promises? How can we experience the most encouragement? How can we do everything that God has called us to do outside of the realm of the church? God established the church to be the base camp, to be the meeting place, to be the thing that has the answers to the world, the thing that changes the world, the thing that makes all the difference. He's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. How can that be without spot or wrinkle when it is a side hustle or a side fling in our life. The church is not near what it used to be. I don't care how many mega churches we have in this nation. It is not as near what it used to be. And the reason it is not near as it used to be because of these three things. Sin is in the church. Worship is not in the church. And I don't care how, how many pretty songs we sing. True worship is not in the church. And church is not a priority in many people's lives. But the church used to be powerful back in the day. I witnessed it. I saw it. Even when I was running from God as a teenager, people being healed, people being righteous, miracles, signs and wonders, angels manifesting, demons manifesting. The church was powerful. It was a place that you could go to. And pastors was, was respected because they preached the gospel and they lived righteously and they wouldn't take anything from anybody when they opposed God. But yet we're a bunch of weak cowards 
Proverbs. We're thick and thin, and, and we're scared of things in society, and we're scared of what the government says. We're scared of what the doctor says. Listen, think about what David did. A lion and a bear rose up to overcome his father's sheep. He didn't run away from the lion and the bear, but he chased the lion and the bear. I want to be a church that chases lions and bears. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the president says. I don't even care what you say. If the Bible says it and the Bible leads us to do it, I want to be a holy church, a righteous church, a passionate church, a church where people put it as a priority. Man. I thought I'd just break in these things. Like incredible hub. Let's whoop the world. Let's whoop sin. Are you breathing? You understand what I'm saying? Even if it's a few of us or a minority of us, as long as I'm the pastor at Westside, we're going to be different. We're not going to tolerate a life of sin which means we're not going to rearrange the message of grace and mercy. We're going to passionately worship God, whether we are in this building or we are outside. And we're going to push church family as a priority. Not that it comes before our family, but as a priority. So that we can be a part of the great army that God is raising up today. Amen? Stand to your feet. Worship team's coming. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.